How are you doing today? Happy Easter, happy Easter. So some of you come from a church tradition. I didn't come from this, but some of you come from a church tradition that every single Easter, the the pastor, somebody says something like, he is risen, and then you would respond. Okay, maybe not many of you come from that tradition. I don't know. Uh, But let's try that. Like the, the person would say, he is risen. The echo would be, he is risen indeed. Let's try that. He is risen I mean, that's okay. That's, that's like so-so kind of good. I think you can do better. So pretend with me for just a moment. Pretend with me for just a moment that I was threatening your life and the way that you respond. Now, I'm not threatening you. There's some big guys in the crowd. I'm not threatening you. But just pretend that I could threaten you. And as if your life depended on it, you had to respond. When I say, he is risen, you would say, Okay, that's much better. That's good, in fact. Um, for weeks, I've been thinking about this idea. That, that Easter uh, provides us with an opportunity to respond to what God has done and is doing. In fact, all of Scripture is a story from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to eternity, of a God who is at work, and His creation, His people, respond God acts, we react. God initiates his work, we respond. And and I don't know if you know this or not, whether you're aware of it or not, God is at work all around you right now. God is always at work. He is faithfully at work. God didn't create everything that there is and just say, good luck. He's actively involved every step of the way. And again, from the beginning to the end of this Bible, God has been at work, and there's a response that's demanded. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God says, let there be light. Guess what happens? Boom, there's light. God creates by his word. The heavens are made. The seas are formed. The wildebeest begin to roam in response to God's creation. The elephants begin to do that thing that they do with their trunk in relation to God. God creates we respond. God made Krispy Kreme, and we respond with great delight in our bellies. Thank you, Jesus, for Krispy Kreme. God saw his people in Exodus. They were trapped, slaves in Egypt, and God goes to Moses and said, I've seen the oppression of my people. Moses, lead my people to freedom. And Moses, what? Responds. He leads, uh, at God's initiative, the people to freedom. The Psalms say that the heavens, um, the stars have been created to glorify. And the psalmist writes that all of the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Last week, Christians all over the world celebrated Palm Sunday. This time where Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. He's coming in as a king. And most kings don't come in like that. And most kings come in victorious. Jesus comes into town to die on a cross And I love what happens in Luke 19. As he's coming into the town, he acts, the people respond, and they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees, they didn't like the reaction of the crowd. They said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus says, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. See, there's this... All of creation responding to God. And the question is, what will we do? How will we respond? 
If God is really at work around us and God really is inviting us Easter 2018 to be a part of his work, how, how will you respond? If you have your Bible, grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 20. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can Google John 20, probably Bible Gateway or version will come up. Open it up and you follow along or the verses are on the screen. When, when we get to John chapter 20, Jesus has died on a cross. Jesus has been buried in a tomb. For three days, he's been in a tomb. The disciples are afraid for their life because they think if they kill Jesus, are, they, are we next? They've deserted Jesus. They're hiding in a room, most of them at least. And on the third day, John begins to tell us what happened. <clears throat> so verse 1 of John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. The stone that had sealed the tomb had been rolled away. So she came running to Simon Peter, who we, most of us know as Peter. She came running to Peter and the other disciple, like that's quotation marks, the other disciple. This is John writing and he's speaking of himself. He's like the other disciple. And then look, a.k.a. The one Jesus loved. That's sweet, isn't it? Like, I, I, I think, like, do you deserve a gold star, John? Like, what do you want now? And, and I used to think it was John, like, patting himself on the back. The one Jesus loved. It's me. I'm here. I actually believe it's John in great humility saying, I can't believe this. I can't get over this. Jesus loved even me. Wow, I can't believe he loved me. And I think he's saying, a.k.a., My alias is the one whom Jesus loved, but he's doing it in a real humble way. He can't get over Jesus' love. She came to Peter and John and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. They knew that Jesus had died. They knew that Jesus had been buried. They knew a stone had been rolled in front of the tomb. Now the stone is gone, and Jesus is missing. So verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. They Ubered over. No, no. Verse 4, they were running. Both were running. But the other disciple, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I'm like, why do you have to say that? What in the world? John's like, by the way, BTW, I beat him to the tomb. I'm faster than Peter. Interesting. Verse 5, John got there first. He bent over. He looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along, and I add the word, finally, came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. These details are given Because every detail matters. God cares about the little things in your life. He cares about the little things in your story. He cares about those pieces of cloth that wrapped Jesus' body when Jesus died. And when Jesus rose back to life, boom, the cloth stayed right where they were. His body came back to life and moved. He cares about every detail. He cares about the small things. John is writing with this intentionality to say, it all happened just like this. This was a real event. This was a real work of God. 
Verse 8. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, in case you forgot, I outran him to the tomb. He won't let that go. Finally, John reached the tomb, went inside. He saw, and he what? Believed. This is so important. He saw, and he believed. This word saw in the Greek is a word that means to perceive. It doesn't just mean physically I saw this with my eyes. It means that he saw it, that that there was some level of perception. It, It literally means to pay attention to. To, to pay attention to, to, to try to discern, to try to figure out. John saw and he believed. But then the next verse, verse 9, is a parenthetical statement that John wants to let us know. But there's something else that's going on behind the scenes. And this is what he says. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So then the disciples went back to where they were staying. This is so fascinating that John is letting us know he's a disciple. He's a guy that will one day eventually write a significant part of the New Testament. But in this moment, when Jesus had risen, they're a little bit dumbfounded. They can't quite figure out. And John says, even though I saw and I believed, we didn't fully understand what God was up to right now. We couldn't totally comprehend what God was doing. His lack of understanding did not undermine his belief. His inability to figure God out in this moment didn't mean that he didn't still trust God. He just simply didn't understand. Have you ever been in a place in life where you just didn't understand? Or life just didn't make sense? Life was hard and there were no easy answers. When I was six years old, I sat on the front row uh, on a Sunday night at Allen J. Baptist Church in High Point, North Carolina. Yates Brooks was preaching a sermon, and he was talking about the love of God. He was talking about the grace of God. He was talking about the new life that God gives us. And even as a young six-year-old, I thought my heart was going to explode through my chest. I'm like, I've got to do whatever he's talking about. I looked at my mom. I'm like, I've got to do what he's inviting us to do. I have to respond And at six years old, I just want to tell you, my life wasn't that jacked up at six years old. But Jesus changed my life that day, both then and for eternity, at six years old. And the reality is, as I stand here today, Easter 2018, what I want to tell you is, for the first 33 Easter's of my life, God made sense. Like, I felt like I understood him pretty well. I felt like I believed and I understood, and, but truthfully, life was pretty easy. And, and we weren't playing it safe. Like when we got, my wife and I got married, we started having kids. We, we moved, taking steps of faith to trust God. But for the first 33 years of my life, God pretty much made sense to me. But nine Easter's ago, I was pretty messed up. I had still seen and I had still believed, but I didn't really understand. About nine months before that Easter, our daughter, Kate, had been diagnosed with a terribly aggressive brain cancer. And our life had been turned upside down. Nine nine Easter's ago, we didn't even live in our house. We had moved to Houston temporarily for medical treatment. It was life or death kind of stuff. 
We were making decisions as if our daughter's life depended on it because it did. And there were the moments of, God, what's going on? God, how do we make it through this? There were so many moments, there still are, where we don't fully understand. And yet, I want you to know this. For the first 33 years as we walked by faith, it doesn't even compare to the last nine Easter's where we have seen God's miracles. We've seen God's faithfulness. We've seen that through the toughest times, God can show himself strongest. And with John, we can have a confidence to say, I've seen, I believe, but I don't quite understand. I don't have it all figured out. And that's okay, because I still believe, and I still trust. I still trust that, that God is able. I still trust that God is faithful. I, I still trust that God knows what's best even when life is hard. And the story of Scripture is a story very often of people responding to God in three different ways. First, when God acts, when God speaks, when God moves, first, some people reject God. Some people's response is to reject God. When Jesus is hanging on a cross in absolute and utter agony physically, Mark chapter 15 tells us the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. They said he saved others. But he can't even save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may what? See and believe. And the, those who were crucified, the criminals with him, also heaped insults on him. They rejected Jesus. And that's the response of so many people is to reject Jesus. Maybe not as blatantly as these do in this story, Maybe the rejection of Jesus takes more of the form of, I've got this, I've got this. I'm in charge, I'm in control, I'm going my own way, I've got it, I don't need God. Now we may not say that, but how often do we live like that? So the first response is that some reject him. The second response is that some question him. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul tells as he's speaking about the resurrection of Jesus and the power that it has for our lives. Verse 32, when the people heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, that's to reject. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. The second type of response we can have is to question. But there's even two different kinds of questions. There's the kind of questions that push us away, that we're like, oh, I don't understand this, I don't know about this. And there's the kind of question here in Acts of, we need to hear more about this. Tell me more. Let, let's seek for some understanding on her own. The second response is to question. And I just want to say, it's okay to question. It's okay sometimes to have doubts. It's okay even to doubt your doubts and to question your questions, if that makes any sense to you. Second response is some question. The third response is Others believed. Others believed. Others said, we, 
look to you, Jesus, as our hope. We look to you in faith. We look to you for life that only you can give. And John writes in chapter 20 and all over the Gospel of John about what belief looks like. In verses 11 through 18 here, he talks about Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene had shown up at the tomb first, had realized Jesus is gone. She comes back to the tomb. She's crying because she's desperately wanting to know what happens. And Jesus appears to her and speaks. And she goes back to the disciples and says, I've seen the Lord. Then in the next section, verses 19 through 23, Jesus appears to his disciples. He appears in the upper room or in this room. He says, peace be with you. After they saw him, they were overjoyed. And then you get to verse 24 of John 20. And John writes, now Thomas, who is also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when they came to Jesus or when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have what? Seeing the Lord. But he, Thomas, said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. There's Thomas's response. Now, I'm not sure if it's rejection or if it's questioning. It's a little bit of both. But Thomas is like, I, I didn't see it for myself. I won't believe it until I see it. So verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, now did you hear that? The doors were locked. And Jesus just, peace be with you. That doesn't instill peace in my heart. Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. And then he's going to talk to Thomas. What do you think he's going to say to Thomas? How could you? Who do you think you are? No. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and what? And believe. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus didn't give Thomas a lecture. He didn't correct Thomas. He didn't say, oh, you're the doubting Thomas. That's right. He invites him to believe for himself, to see for himself, to experience personally, and to respond with belief. Verse 28, Thomas does just that. Thomas said to him, my Lord, and my God. Thomas sees. He's overwhelmed. He's believing. He's trusting. And in verse 29, Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, blessed are those who are going to follow after you, who don't get to see me with their physical eyes. They, they just read about me. They just hear the stories about me. And they trust. They believe Anyways, they believe because of the stories and the reality of, and the stirring in their hearts, they believe even though they don't see with their eyes. And then look at this next part that often gets looked over. I think it's so important. Verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. These are written that you may believe. That Jesus is the Messiah, 
the Son of God, and, secondarily, that by believing, you may have life in his name. I think this is so amazing. I don't know why you think the Bible was written. I don't know why you think the purpose behind this being compiled was. I don't know if you look at the Bible and think, oh, it's just a, a list of rules. It's just a list of regulations. It's just a bunch of do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do, don't do. John says, these things have been written that you could believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that by believing, you could have life in his name. The kind of life only God can give. It's not just a rule book. It's not just regulations. It's not just do this, don't do this. This is the story of God's amazing grace and God's great love. And God invites us to trust him and find true life. So, yeah, that's good news. So there's, there's two things going on. These things have been written that you might, number one, first step. Step number one, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That Jesus is the Savior. That Jesus died on a cross, not because he did anything wrong, but in our place so we can be forgiven. Jesus was buried and raised to new life so we could have resurrection power ourselves. Believe that. Believe that. That's step number one. That's the first step of salvation. But then on top of that, and that by believing in his name, you might have life. By believing day after day after day, remembering who he is, trusting and having confidence again in who God is. That he's faithful, that he won't let us down, that his ways are right, that his plans are good. And believing it again and again, and some days, guess what, we forget, don't we? And some days, guess what? We don't understand. It doesn't all make sense. And so on the days that we don't understand, we come back to this place where we see and we believe again. We're not saved all over again. We're reminded. We tell ourselves this story that is the true story because there's all these other ugly stories clamoring for our attention. And we want to be reminded of the truth. That real life comes through Christ. And you may say, but why is the resurrection so important? Why does it matter? Because the resurrection of Jesus destroys the power of death, frees us from the hold of sin, and is the way we experience true life. Paul wrote this idea in Romans chapter 8, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give, what? Life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is what Paul is saying, that that there's resurrection power living in us who believe. To overcome anything that we face, to have patience and endurance no matter the trials we find ourselves in, to experience a peace that passes understanding even in the most heartbreaking times, to have joy overflowing in our lives even when we have heavy hearts, and to have a hope that cannot be stopped because of who Jesus is. This is a new kind of life, a resurrection kind of life, and here's the question. How will you respond? Because we all respond. We all respond every day. Will we reject? And say, no, I've got this. I'll do this myself. 
probably most of us aren't blatantly rejecting. You're not God. I don't trust you, Jesus. But we live that way so often. We reject. We question. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna, I don't know. And back up. Or I want to know. And we walk in. Help me understand. Or will we believe? I'm not saying have it all figured out. I'm not saying have all the answers. Will we place our confidence? Jesus is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. True life can be found in him. Grace can be found in him. Hope and peace and joy. God is already at work. Jesus has already done on the cross and through the resurrection everything that we need to experience this life. The question is, how will we respond? Easter of 2018 can be an Easter that changes your life for now and forever. Last Easter, a guy named Nick showed up here at Hillside, and I got the chance to meet him this past week and talk to him a little bit. And Nick showed up Easter 2017 and he told me this week, Easter 2017 changed my life forever. I'm like, tell me about it, tell me about it. And I thought he was going to talk about my sermon and he didn't say anything about it. <laughs> I thought maybe he'll talk about the music. He didn't say anything about the music. He said there was a person at one of the doors greeting and their smile and their words, so glad to see you, happy Easter started to unlock what was bound in his heart. A warm smile and a good morning, happy Easter began to break that hard, calloused heart. Begin to open him up. And he said, can I just tell you what's happened in my life this, since last Easter? What one year can do? He was like, my family was falling apart. My marriage was in such a deep, deep struggle. He said, but in this last year, God has restored my family. He's reconciled my wife and I. Both of his kids have come to know Jesus in the last year. He stood up one day in a gathering and said, I believe. And then on his birthday, just months ago, was baptized. Because he said, God is changing my story. And in this room today, there are countless other stories like Nick's where God started speaking and you finally started listening. God started revealing and you finally started responding by saying that third option, I believe. You stopped rejecting. You stopped questioning. Not not, that the questions all went away. They were just overcome by love. And you said, I believe. So the question is, how will you respond today? Scripture tells us from creation to eternity, all creation praises and glorifies God in response. We, we know story after story of people here in Rancho to the ends of this earth in India and Kenya and other places where our partners are, where men and women and boys and girls are responding to God saying, I believe. So how will you respond today.